Welcome to the Bike Pack Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike travel. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, hear fantastic stories of their journeys. Through both mine and my guests' experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike travel and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. I want to thank Panorama Cycles, Redshift Sports, Restrap, Race Day Fuel, and Brockman Cyclery for supporting Bike Pack Adventures and helping to keep me on the bike. Check out the show notes for more information about these amazing companies. Thanks and keep on pedaling. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. Before we roll into this interview, I figure I just might as well go through some housekeeping, let you know what's new with me and uh, whatnot. I'm really happy to say I finally finished my new build. It has taken me quite some time, partly because I was getting some wheels 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 built and uh that that did take a while and then i also had to drive down to toronto and i kind of got everything together when i went and did that intro to bikepacking night with brockton cyclery so on that note a huge thanks to brockton cyclery for helping me put this bike together sorting me out with all the parts and uh building the wheels and whatnot further to that thank you to chiru endurance bikes for working with me and help me get this frame and have such an awesome looking ride. I can't wait to get out and uh, crush some bikepacking routes this summer. I recently heard the term Groundton bike and I thought, well, yeah, that kind of encompasses what my bike is. It's totally not a, I mean, it is a mountain bike, but when you get a rigid front fork and stuff, it feels a lot less like a single track mountain bike or cross-country bike than like an oversized gravel bike and I heard the term grountain bike and I was like oh that's kind of what this is it's a it's a mountain bike that can take three inch tires but definitely set up to to crush gravel at a fast pace take on those single track trails of like the BT 700 of which there are plenty and uh yeah make the most of it and I couldn't have done that without Chiru endurance bikes yeah so I'm planning first ride is going to be uh on this bike is gonna it's gonna be fun i'm gonna go to mont tremblant and uh re-ride the trouble and tremblant route i've had to do some adjustments and i haven't had a chance to get out there yet i mean i i didn't want to do it on my gravel bike and i was waiting for this one to be finished now that it's finished i'm ready to go out there and uh ride that 300 ish plus kilometer route make sure everything's good to go for the canadian shield bike packing route grand depart this summer so yeah pretty stoked about that i'm also probably going to ride the canadian shield 400 in the next week or so or a week or two just to uh as a good training ride and um yeah it's kind of fun to ride it again on a new bike that'll make change everything and other than that summer plans have changed again we're not 100 sure what we're doing we have a small camper we wanted to travel canada but the price of fuel has gone up so much that we don't think we can do a trip all the way out west. It's just going to cost, you know, like three to four grand in fuel, which is insane. So we're looking at revamping our plans, probably going sailing with my dad for a little bit, doing some trips around Ontario and Quebec, maybe the Gaspé Coast, 
I have some roots there. They're in black on the Bikepack Adventures website that I've plotted, but I haven't had a chance to ride. And uh, I put them up in case somebody wanted to get out there and ride them and scout them for me. But hopefully I can get out there and actually just do them myself this summer and put the wife up at a nice campsite with her, her sister. So that's the hope. What that means, though, is no Alberta Rockies 700, which totally blows, man. I was so stoked to go and uh, meet some of these uh, guys out west. Um, you know, Theo was probably going to be there. Steve O'Shaughnessy was hoping to be there. He hosts the My Back 40 podcast. And that would have been really cool to see him and meet him in person. Yeah, there's going to be some other people out there that I would like to meet, like Kyle Messier. And unfortunately, I just don't see how it could happen unless I do it uh, through a flight. So... But there are some cheap flights, so I maybe, maybe, but no promises, and I'm not holding my breath. But I will find some other cool rides to do. Not sure what, but I will definitely get out on some bikepacking adventures. What else? If you're not already a Patreon member, you can totally just sign up through patreon.com slash adventures. And it really does help keep the show going. I've mentioned it all the time. Um, it's not a big monthly commitment, so, you know, basically the price of a coffee to the cost of a sandwich or beer or whatever so lots of options and uh it definitely helps keep this podcast going and uh allows me to put money back into it like i recently bought the road procaster and it wasn't cheap and i'll be paying it off for the entire year unfortunately but that is the way it goes and it's definitely really improved my podcasting game uh kind of like my chiru bike is hopefully going to improve my bike packing game <laughs> Uh, what else is new? Last thing, I guess, is the grand depart for the Canadian Shield bikepacking route is still on July 3rd and still leaves Chelsea at 8 a.m. So you have four different, uh, three different distances to choose from. There's a 400K, 1,000K, and 1,300K option. And uh, you can just find that all on bikepackadventures.ca. And uh, yeah, go register. It's going to be fun. All right. I think that is it. I mean, I, I can't go without saying uh, thank you to all my podcast sponsors and patreons and uh those that do little paypal injections i really do appreciate it and i hope you enjoy this episode welcome to the bike tour adventures podcast i'm your host chris banaski this podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours bike packers and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures through their stories, you will be able to learn the ins and outs of bike touring and bikepacking. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, hear fantastic stories of their journeys, and through both mine and my guest experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike touring or bikepacking and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. If you are already an experienced bike tourer or bike packer, I hope that my guest stories allow you to relive some of your own experiences and give you a good laugh or two along the way. In the meantime, enjoy the show and keep on pedaling. In this episode of the Bike Tour Adventures podcast, I have the chance to sit back with Payman of Nomads Trails. Peyman and Matilda are from Finland and for quite some time now have embraced a more nomadic way of living. From off-the-grid living in a van while saving up for this trip of a lifetime to going on backcountry adventures in Finnish winter and planning a world biking tour that is expected to last 5-10 to 10 years, they've always tried to take as much as they can from the land while minimizing their impact on the environment. I'm very excited to have Peyman on the show to share their story. Peyman, welcome to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. 
Lovely. Fantastic. Thank you. And um, I, I will start after this. One thing is, Matilda won't be cycling anymore. Boy, mm. it is okay. <laughs> Yeah, and I was going to ask, um, I, I mean, I could ask you now, but yeah. I could always ask later, like, yeah. what, what what happened? She, she had, um, Matilda has some uh, uh, some health, uh, unfortunately, some health issues. So all in all, we when we went to Finland and we cycled and... Um, and we have we decided to it is good um, for both of us if Matilda keeps um, uh, stays in Finland and does whatever she would like to from now on, and then I I cycle yeah I cycle alone. But but our our movies like uh, vlogs are behind the current timeline, so it is um, in a way it's not so official in our social media. I think in a month uh, we will um, it will be official. So. Yeah, it would be only no mass race. We'd be all um, we'd be payment cycling. But yeah, with Matilda, we're a good friend. And if one day, any time, she wants to come and goes, and she checks the comments, like no, yeah, no, t- uh, no drama. But just yeah, she she won't be a part of it. So it'd be. No, that's too bad. Yeah, I, I know I saw in your yeah. videos where people kept asking in comments and you're like, guys, I've talked about this a thousand times. Like, go and check out the other videos. And But, you know, podcasts yeah. are different, so we always like to hear the story. So, Payman, tell us about yourself. Yeah. All right, so, look, well, I'm Payman, and thanks for having me here, first of all. My pleasure. And right now, in, uh, I'm, I'm in Tanzania, and, uh, and I found a... Uh, found a good intent finally to have this conversation with you and it's really really lovely to be here and yeah i i've been bicycle touring and doing adventures bicycle touring let's say it's around like a, more than 10 years maybe around 12 years or something like that and i've been doing adventures like since uh outdoor hiking i don't know fishing and um yeah doing anything you you can imagine in the in the nature since I'm since I'm small kid, you know. So I grew up like this, and yeah, yeah. And now I have this the lifestyle which I really love it. I really love it. I go around the world with my bicycle, I do different kind of adventures, and I have a um, very exciting plans for the future also, which I really really love it. And yeah, I love the life, the way I live. Yeah, it is. It's really nice. Yeah. So as you were talking uh, offline ahead of time, uh, you are Azerbaijani Iranian um, by nation and and then obviously uh, heritage. Um, but you yeah. did you spend your whole life in Finland, or you just grew up part of your life in Finland? A part of my life, I uh, I, uh, I lived in Finland in the northern part of Finland in Lapland, and basically for me it's uh, it's a home. It's a very, it's only a place. I feel everywhere home. But Lapland is uh, the nature, the pureness of Lapland. It's mm. like a, a part of it, it. It has a special place in my heart, and every like, especially outdoor, I would love to go there and you know, besides the lake, put up a fire, have a yeah. small, yeah, small sip of whiskey in a <laughs> looking at the lake, you know, and have a yeah, have a relaxed time. So yeah, Lapland is a home. So place. since you immigrated to Finland, I have to ask you: Do you like salmiaki? Good question. I'm not a big fan of it. No, me neither. It tastes <laughs> like I'm licking, uh, drinking a bottle of freaking salt. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of it. I love many things over there, but that is not one of them, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 
So you you immigrated to Finland how many years ago? I think it's been something around maybe fifteen, if I remember right. Okay, and and was it? Did you go to the north immediately, or did you you know spend some time in Helsinki yeah. first, and then be like, oh, I kind of want to be in the the wilderness? No, in the middle of winter, I went straight <laughs> with my ex. She was from Finland. Straight, we went to the <laughs> to the north. Oh, wild. Okay. Yeah. And I did notice that in a lot of your videos you, you have, and we're going to touch on this later, but you have like a, what seems to me like an extreme knowledge of edibles and how to forage efficiently and all these things where I watch your videos and I'm like, what the hell is he doing? Like, you can't just eat. Like, it seems to me like you're eating random things, but you know, so it's cool. We're going to talk about that. Um, so at some point in the, you, you and Matilda met and you guys lived in a van. Um, and I think that was in Helsinki. So completely off the grid living. Why did you do this? And, uh, how did it kind of help you guys prepare for this world tour? Like, yeah, the, I, I did, uh, before moving to Helsinki. Okay. I did, uh, I finished the wilderness, uh, wilderness guide school in Finland. And then I was I went I went for a one bike tour across Europe from Lapland to uh, Portugal. I came back. Then I went for a couple of other short trips, and then I said, like, uh, it, was, it has been my dream for years to go around the world with a bicycle. And then I, 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 I was sitting in Lapland with, with one of my uh, very good friends, and I told him, yeah, I need to find a job to save up for uh, for this trip going around the world. And then he said, "Yeah, wait. I'll give a call to my to my brother. He has a new company. He might need a worker." And he called it. They said, "Yeah, you need a worker." Wow. And I said, "Okay." So I was living in a community like uh, I've always been living actually in a community, and I would really recommend live with the community people. It's amazing. Anyway, so um, yeah, and I said to the people, "All right, guys, I am off to Helsinki to work and save for this." So I had a plan to save one and a half. Uh, stay and work for one and a half year and paying for a rent um, it was just out of my like uh, uh, out of question for me because I don't want to pay for an apartment when I only go and sleep in a yeah. bed which is like a one meter in two meter you know and for what I need to pay for all that space and I've been living like years of my life in a tent in a nation so I, said, like, mm-hmm. I just buy, bought a van small van for uh, 500 euros and in one day one day I build it and I put my bicycle all of my stuff inside from uh, from Lapland and Rovaniemi and I drove drove down to Helsinki and I start to work and my workplace was changing so it was awesome because I could with the car wherever I was working I was sleeping next to the workplace in the morning just out of the car straight to the work Mm-hmm. Anyways, amazing one. It's not a bad idea because I've so, been to Finland many times and it's really expensive. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it is indeed, yeah. But I was a dumpster dive my food, you know, so I saved quite good, good money at the time. I dumpster dive my food. I really didn't pay so much for the food because we unfortunately throw so much good food to the garbage around the world mm. in the Western. So I took the food food from there and I lived there and then I met Matilda after five, six months of being in Helsinki and then she she joined we did a couple of trips and 
She said, yeah, I can come. I would like to come around uh, for this trip. And we said, yeah, fantastic. We'll come in there. So, we start the tour after two years. Uh, so I've got to ask you, did, did she find it different? Like the way you were living compared to most people in Finland? You know, there's not so many people that choose to live in a van and dumpster dive. And how how easy was for her to, yeah. to change her lifestyle? Or had she already kind of been along that path? Mm-hmm. No, she she, be, she was thinking actually to uh, to um, to build a tiny house, and she had this really idea. So it was not also she is from a countryside, so it was it was not so strange for her, and uh, she was open minded. But I had before Matilda, I was going to date another 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 girl, and uh, like I had the. Uh, she she told me she's in a message she sent to me so what do you do and I said well, I live in a car and I save money I'm going to cycle around the world and she said okay and we had an agreement and she asked my Instagram I gave gave her my Instagram and then when she checked my Instagram next day I got a message she said oh man this is too much for me let's cancel the date I said it's alright I understand <laughs> <laughs> And just like that, you were still single. <laughs> you know what, though? It's better that way than like dating, you know, her grudgingly dating, thinking she's going to change you for five, six months and then saying, oh, well, you know, it's it's not my thing. And, you know, better just from the start, you know, honesty. I agree. <clears throat> Um, so you mentioned that you did some bike touring and stuff prior to this big world tour. Um and you cycled yeah. to Portugal. What kind of bike did you use for that? Uh, I got a Cannondale bike. Let's say, like it was, a, it was an old bike at the time. I would say something like a, uh, it would be equivalent of current gravel bike. Okay, cool. And yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah so uh, I guess that uh, I don't know what to go from there <laughs> in the introduction. <laughs> Just looking at my questions, I'm like, oh, we kind of touched on that, touched on that. Um, so you basically, when you guys were ready to start, you sold the van, you, um, sold all your belongings. I think you kept your snowboard and that was about it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's very true. I, I, we kept only some of our equipment, the snowboard and some other, other winter equipment. And then, yeah, sold everything else. And yeah, we were off to the, off to the tour and it was. It's amazing. Yeah. It's such a lot. Freedom is something like on a beat, like unexplainable. It's yeah. just too good. Like the sense yeah. of freedom, yeah? The, the sense of freedom, you just yeah. all of a sudden empowers you. and Yeah, yeah. And how much less you need. Mm. You understand. Like I understand how much less I need in a life. And... And that also gives a freedom, also freedom of being able to bicycle to go more or less wherever you want. That's also amazing. And mm-hmm. like wherever you want, you put your tent and you sleep more or less. You know, there's so many great things. When you get a test of all of these, uh, it's very difficult to go back. Yeah. I uh, I lived abroad, so in various countries for, for about 15 years. So typically I lived with mm-hmm. two suitcases and one to two bicycles that I would carry in a box when I move somewhere. Uh, now I have to be honest. I have a lot of things <laughs> we have. <laughs> when I look around, I'm like, holy crap. Like the amount of stuff that we accumulated in three years in Canada, 
mind blowing. Like it's just insane. But you know, it doesn't stop my desire. I, I told my wife, I said, as a teacher, I, I want to do like uh, one of these X over Y programs where for four years you get paid a little bit less every year. So you can take the 50 or off and then just be off for a year. So I have that dream that I want to go and, um, whether it's with the wife and the baby or in the dog or by myself or one, some kind of combination thereof, I, I want to make that happen. You know, it's got to happen just for my own peace of mind yes. and sanity. <clears throat> now you need, like it really wants, you know, if you don't execute your dreams, you know, you just going to feel sorry at the end yeah. of the day. Yeah, exactly. Um, now I want to touch back one more thing. You did talk about Lapland. How far up from like Helsinki is kind of, for those that don't know, it's it's very much in the south of the country. Uh, how far north were you living in? You said Raviani? Is that how you say the name? Uh, Rovani, I mean, Rovani. exactly, basically, on Arctic Circle. Oh, okay, right at the Arctic Circle. And you yeah. lived in a tent yeah. during this entire time? Uh, over there, no. I had the, I had the, I, I had a communal house and okay. I lived in a room over there, yeah. Oh, amazing. All right, and so moving back to the tour, you guys... Um, you built up your own bicycles. Why did you make this decision to do this? And what did you decide to build? Yeah, it is a, this is, this is a very good question indeed. If, uh, like, uh, I go around the world and I'm in a very remote places, you know, and uh, it's very, when you build your own bicycle, you get a very good knowledge about your bicycle. You know how to fix it. Then if you wanted to order a spare part, you know what you need, you know, you can do everything yourself. And this is very, very important in my opinion. So this is why we built our bicycles. And now like, uh, you know, I can do anything with like a more or less with any bicycle, you know, it is uh, any problem with the bike, I can sort it out. And it is so good. It's, it is, I would really recommend it. And the bicycle, uh, we did decide to build at the time. It was like a classic touring bike, which um, which takes two inch tires, and if one one frame was surely um, surely a long haul trucker, and the other one was uh, from German company, uh, which is a uh, called VSF VSF uh, Farad manufacturer. Okay, I've heard of them. I've never seen one. I mean, I've seen them in your videos, but mm -hmm. yeah. <clears throat> And that's what you rode, right? You rode the VSF? Yeah, I rode the VSF and Matilda rode, um, uh, rode the Shirley. I would say like a VSF has, um, if some of you, some of the audience they might be curious about it, VSF has a slightly stiffer frame, and um, but uh, Shirley is, uh, is a little bit more wobbly, but has a very, very comfortable one. Mm, okay. And then necessarily, every, everybody knows a long haul trucker. I mean, um, everybody who bike tours or is interested in bike touring. I mean, I, there are some bike packers that listen to this uh, podcast as well, so they might not know, but they, they probably do. Um, <clears throat> and was it cheaper to build them on your own than buying a pre-assembled? Or was that kind of then you get to the, the slippery slope of saying, ooh, we can get this part instead. We can add this component and then just kind of raising the price tag. Uh, it, it would be it would be more expensive if I would like to get the same bike with the same components. Uh, it would be definitely more expensive. Uh, so, but um, yeah, but I could get a bike, of course, uh, for like a V spend for each bike over three thousand. I don't mm. remember three thousand three hundred euros for for everything. Yeah, 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 euros. Yeah. 
picture just for the component and then you put everything together. But um, if I would want to buy that bike, oh, I would guess it would be at least around four thousand five hundred from a, mm. like from a from a brand. So. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. And what was the the most challenging? part of building a bike and i mean and is this something you would recommend other bike tours to do before they go on their first major tour like we're talking major tour maybe some shakedown rides is good to do first on any bike but Uh, i would really recommend to for for people to do that i really really would recommend to do that of course and not everybody has the time i understand uh but if you have the time i would recommend to do uh, to do that because you get a very very good understanding and knowledge about um, about the bike also a, a small tip here um you can actually buy an old mountain bike like a take it apart and put it together you know and also you understand a lot about how things works you know which yeah. screw how much you need to put you know the uh, pressure on it is so many small small details over there which which is very important and mm-hmm. good to know and um, what was the challenging part uh, I don't know what was the funny part was because when I was biking uh, building the bike I was I was doing it was summer in- oh and he just froze we are reconnecting Okay, no way. I was going to say, you first. Uh, maybe we take off the video. Yeah, let's take yeah, off the video. Yeah, maybe we take off the video. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would be better. Mm-hmm. All right. All right, we're still yeah. here. Ooh, yeah, good. So you were saying, you were so, saying yeah, one of the funny things about building your own bike, and then I kind of yeah. lost you. Yeah, no way. Yeah, so, but yeah, one of the funny things about uh, building the bar, yeah, I, I can't say what was the really the challenging part because I don't think that there was such a big challenge, you mm-hmm. know, to be honest. Uh, everything was really nice and uh, it was fun to do it. I really enjoyed it. But the funny thing about, about this was, um, it was at the time in Finland, we had the, we had the uh, sun till midnight yeah. and, and I was walking quite late. So one day I was really quite tired and I've been working on a bike for so many hours. So I was putting the cranks, you know? Mm-hmm. So then I tried to, I, I start to put these, um, put the pedals and you know, the pedals, they, the treads are actually opposite. Yeah. They, they the, turn opposite. Yeah. The, dri- the drive side is the, opposite. The left side is the uh, normal. Yeah. That's a, yeah, yeah. So I was putting the uh, now drive side uh, pedal, and I was like, "Oh, this is not going." And ended up destroying the threads of the uh, crank. Oh no! Then I was like, "Why this is not going?" And I'm pretty handy. I know how to, you know, this is very simple. And I just uh, Matilda came and I said, "Like, ah, yeah, you don't know. We need to order new cranks." I destroyed these cranks, and then. And she looked and looked at, do you know what you, you did wrong? I said, what did you do? Wrong? said, this is a drive side crank and you put it a drive side crank in a non drive side crank. I said, oh yeah, you are right. Uh, and I was so tired. So I couldn't, didn't notice that which was in front of my eye. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. If you put the wrong pedal on the wrong side, it can really make a difference. Yeah. 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 
I put the wrong crank on the wrong side. Oh, you put the crank backwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that was unbelievable. I, I didn't see the big chain ring over there, you know? Yeah. Yeah, if you're tired, <laughs> it can be hard, complicated. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And how was your initial setup on the bike? What did you guys, um, like, I guess you said you use traditional bikes, so panniers. Um, what kind of things did you carry? How did you distribute the load between the two people? I know that your your weight actually came out to be pretty even when I saw you guys use a scale in one of your videos. And uh, so, yeah, tell us about that. Yeah. Yeah, we uh, we had a lucky very traditional setup and uh, set up for for panniers, one big duffel bag in the back, in the back, uh, and then the handlebar bag. And um, yeah, the it's a good thing about going with two person is you of course share like a, uh, spare parts, you share the like air pump for example, you share the kitchen and. And emergency, many things you share it. So that is really, really nice. And that gives you a, a little bit of uh, advantage on a weight. So you can carry some other fun stuff if you want to have. So more or less, let's see, we carry the equipment on the bike, which we could survive in minus five okay. uh, till plus one. So this was the mindset because I didn't want to send the stuff back and forward. Also on a tour, on a world tour, you one day you are in a minus ten, and uh, after one month, after three weeks, you are in a plus twenty five. Right. If you cross, for example, mountain, you know, range. So this can happen very easily. So this was the reason. Yeah, we had um, equipment. Uh, our in a way, vintage equipment. Also, I would say. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but the uh, the two person being being a couple, two person in the road, it gives you some advantages on the weight, and it's it's quite nice. Okay, and I have to say, I learned something really important from your videos, which makes me want to go out and buy a titanium pot, and that's that. If you don't have time to soak and scrub and clean your pots and pans properly, you just make a really really hot fire and burn everything to a crisp, right? Yeah, absolutely. That is awesome. That was that like, so good. yeah, that was mine. I was like, so wait a second. Oh man. <laughs> that is so good. Yeah. Such so a I good love trick. that. Yeah. But also regarding the pants, if, um, um, uh, the, the pods, if, um, I would recommend really, you know, this old military style of mesh kit. Yeah. Uh, nowadays there is some, uh, some brands out there, they make those ones from titanium and they are square, you know, they are so good in a pannier because it's raw, all these round pots, they get, they take so much space, you know, yeah, and right. there's so much space around them, but this square is so good and it's so easy to stuff like the uh, stuff inside of it. So those are really, really good, especially for one person, but even you can handle two person with with those so you can get those from titanium right now oh that's amazing and um yeah and and one thing i did learn from you guys as well is that you often actually we'll we'll jump into that later i'm getting ahead of myself i'm getting too excited (laughs) Um, generally speaking what has been your route through uh so far on the tour and what was your overall route if you've kind of figured that out or not uh route you said yeah 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 Ah, well, I, I, uh, I do not really plan so, uh, routes so much. I just plan the destination I want to go. 
Okay. So let's, uh, yeah, so I know I'm going, for example, to South Africa and uh, I more or less roughly, I say, okay, I want to go to this country, this country. And then when I'm in that country, I just plan two, three days route ahead, you know? Ah, okay. So my more or less, yeah, my more, but uh, for, from Finland to Gambia, it was, um, we cycled uh, through to Europe, um, we cycled uh, Sweden, of course, Finland, uh, Sweden, Denmark, Germany, uh, France, Spain, and then from okay. Spain, we took the boat to uh, Melilla in Morocco. Yeah. And then from there, we went actually towards Merzuga in uh, inland, uh, inland in Morocco, and then we we cycled basically in the edge of Sahara. It was a tough, tough ride, I tell you that. All mm-hmm. the way to the coast, and then we took the, there's only one road crosses the Sahara, there's no any other road. So one road down all the way uh, to more or less to the, um, uh, to Senegal, across okay. uh, Western Sahara, uh, Mauritania, and then to Senegal, and then, yeah, then we cycled uh, to Gambia, yeah. And did you make, um, did you guys make a conscious effort to to go to the big cities or to skip them? Or what was the plan there? Because I think in Morocco, you didn't go to like, if I remember correctly, I didn't see you in like Marrakesh or Casablanca or any of these places, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I always avoid big towns in, and I would recommend to people to avoid that. Big towns uh, are a problem for a cyclist, in my opinion. So I never, if I don't have to, I don't go to the big towns. I always, one thing I make sure, I just don't go to big towns. Mm-hmm. Your bike, unfortunately, it's a big possibility of your bike getting stolen. The finding campsite is difficult. Everything is more expensive. Yeah. Uh, like it's such a hassle for a cyclist, big town. Yeah, and probably if uh, you, there's some some nice things you might miss in the big cities, but odds are that you'll find lots of other nice things along the way. Anyways, you don't you don't have to go to the big mosque in this city when you can go see something uh, out in the desert that most tourists don't go to or something. Absolutely, yeah. I, I like, uh, yeah. Also, for example, I do not like, really like. Uh, I'm not so much fan of uh, seeing uh, buildings and uh, tourist sites okay. and like. Uh, I don't. I, of course, I understand some some people they like, but I don't like. I like to go to the, uh, as you mentioned, to the countryside, be in the nature. You know, talk with the talk with the people who they live uh, in a in a farm in the villages. I like this kind of thing. Uh, I, I just go out. Yeah. Okay. And I think this ties in well with, um, you, you did mention the costs of big cities and stuff. And I think this ties in well with my, mm-hmm. my thing I want to talk about was food management. Um, I know yeah. from the videos that you and Matilda previously made while cycling through Sweden, that there's really mm-hmm. a lot of different ways of getting food. Um, and you did allude to dumpster diving when you were living in your van. So can you tell us more about, uh, you know, dumpster diving? Oh man, dumpster diving is such a such an incredible way of getting your food, and it's it's very very ecological because, in my opinion, because you you basically you save some food from the from the dumpster, which is going to go out. So yeah, you I did dumpster dive more or less always when I was living in Finland, and when I go when I have the possibility, I do. I did if, uh, on the tour. We did the same in Sweden. 
uh, in Denmark and in Germany. Okay. And yeah, and then more or less that was it. After Germany, was it was quite difficult in France. Uh, in the evening, we asked from the bakeries if they have extra, if they have a, a bread which they're gonna throw away. And often they were very very friendly. They were giving the bread. But yeah, that was that was it. But in like a north in Scandinavia in Germany. There's so much food goes to the mm-hmm. dumpster and dumpsters are open so you can go. But yeah, I don't know about that. It's in like, I know in Finland it's not legal, it's not illegal, it's something in between, you know. You know, I mean, like, I just take the food which goes to the garbage, you know. Yeah. So nobody says anything more or less. But if somebody comes a shop owner and says, oh, yeah, don't do that, okay, sorry, I don't do that. Choose a boy. But usually they don't, you know. Yeah, next time you go to a different dumpster, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I think also in France, they in the last handful of years, they, they've changed the laws so that, you know, grocery stores and stuff are not allowed to just throw out tons of food. They have to donate it to, to whatever, you know, charities or organizations to feed people, something like that. Yeah, I heard in France they did something like that. Yeah, I heard, yeah. So that may make it more challenging. And... Um, yeah. Um, so you and you also forge a lot. Um, foraging is picking berries and stuff. Um, so I learned a lot from you, but I also I also know that don't pick berries that you don't know what they are because it could just poison you. Um, tell us about your yeah. experience foraging. And is this stuff that you learned up in Lapland and took that skill with you, or what? Yeah, I've been. Uh, oh, yeah, as I. I've been always living very close to nature, and I always uh, I've been always interested with the what I can eat, um, what I cannot eat. My dream is one day to have um, to live somewhere which I never go to the shop. I just don't want to go to the shop, make mm-hmm. everything myself. Wow! And yeah, so um, so yeah, I learned these things since I'm a kid, and in Lapland also, of course, uh, I have uh, many friends who they are. They are. They really like nature. They go a lot to nature, and the people they know a lot about the, what you can eat, what you cannot eat. I learn from there also, and yeah. And every country I go, I talk with the locals what uh, plants I can eat, what I cannot eat. You know, so yeah, I try to find out these, and I remember these. So I, uh, when I am out there, I can yeah, I know more or less um, what I can eat and what I what I cannot. But they, as you mentioned, there's one big rule. You never eat one thing you are not, uh, you never eat anything you are not 200% sure of. Ah. Especially, especially if you are alone. Yeah. Yeah. Because like it's very big. Yeah. And if you are with someone, you eat something in case you're not, sh- uh, then you notice, oh, I'm not sure. Then straight away you need to tell to the person who you are with, okay, I ate this one and this might not be okay. So just the person knows. Okay. Yeah, you don't want to be like um, uh, into the wild where the, the, what's his name? I forget it now. But anyways, where he died in a van in Alaska because he ate the wrong, the wrong uh, plant, you know? Yeah, Um, absolutely. And I got to ask you because you didn't explain it in your video, but you, you at one point said, I love spruce trees and you took something and you were eating them off the spruce trees. Was that just the, uh, the little flower or what was it? Mm, no, in springtime, spruce trees, they start to grow. Okay. All right, so they got this green, nice, and very tasty, like a uh, spring, uh, 
I don't know what you call it, branches when they just start to, you know, grow. So I, I pick those and like, eat them. The, like the, bu- the buds, right? Or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know what it's called, the correct okay. name. Yeah, yeah. So then, you know, not, so when they are in, I think it's maybe around two weeks, three weeks in the beginning of spring, right. when they start to grow, you can eat them, you know. And later on also with spruces, you can just put them in a, and you can make a tea with the, the, with the spruce. The, with the uh, net, nettle, nettles, I guess, the needles, right? Yeah, absolutely. Just put them in the in water and make tea and okay. drink it. Awesome. And uh, yeah, you you did uh, in the north of Finland, I guess, similar to Sweden, there's a lot of lingonberries and you did say they're one of your favorites. Yeah. I've had brandy made from lingonberries and it was awesome, I have to say. Oh man, that is, oh, that's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's so good. I love lingonberries. My favorite lingonberries are spring lingonberries, those which they stay under the snow. Okay. And when the spring, you know, the snow melts, you can pick those and they are like sweet, sour, and they have a so good taste. Yeah, I imagine they're really sweet, kind of like a Canadian ice wine, you know, the, it's the grapes from the really early season and they tend to be super concentrated mm-hmm. in sugar and um, quite delicious. Yeah, 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 indeed. Uh, let's talk about roadkill. You... Uh, <laughs> I've seen you cut up a few different animals in your videos. I haven't watched all your videos. I've watched a fair bit of them, but I've seen you uh, cut up some animals. Tell us about this, what you look for, um, what to do and what not to do. Sure. Well, um, roadkill is, uh, when I, I see a new uh, fresh roadkill, then, yeah, I I usually take it and take a part of it and um, like uh, I like to take the legs and um, legs and hands and filet and yeah put it in a put it in a bike and I'm, I can make some dry dry meat if I want to and eat it and uh, if I am somewhere which there's some people I can you know invite people uh, and have a good evening so it's mm-hmm. nice but how do you know if it's fresh or not that, that comes a little bit with experience, I need to say, you know, but usually a meat which doesn't smell bad, it's good. Okay. And so it doesn't smell bad, it's mm-hmm. good. But yeah, it comes a little bit with the, with the experience, I need to say, but you need to put the knife and, uh, and cut it, um, cut, the, cut the skin so you can see how, uh, how fresh is the meat, you know? Okay. Also, also, especially, also depends on the temperature. If it's, of course, um, you you are in a place which is like a plus thirty five, so you need to be much more aware of it. But if it's springtime in in Scandinavia, even in the summertime, I would mm-hmm. say in northern part of Scandinavia, weather is cool. You know, so it is totally fine in my opinion. I have had um, I have had a meat like a uh, on my on my bike. Uh, for like a two weeks, I carried it and it was okay, you know. Oh, wow, I was okay. eating it and every day was getting better and better and better, you know, because the fresh meat, it's not actually good. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. So you, when you kill animal or you hunt the animal, you need to hunt, the, uh, you need to hang the meat and let it to be for two days, one day. It depends on how old the animal is or bird is. So then you get this nice, soft meat when you cook it. But if you cook it straight away, it's really, really, it's like a chewing gum. Ah, okay. And that's why people say like like wild animals often have a, a wild taste and the meat is tougher because it hasn't had the chance to hang as long as meat that we traditionally eat, right? 
the the test no but being taught if it hasn't been hanged then it can be very very uh, dewy and it can be very oh, hard okay. indeed but usually the hunters they know that and uh, they hang it what are some of the craziest animals or what are some of the animals that you've uh, found that you've cut up and eaten mm, i I had a taste of a uh, taste of a mice with my friend. Oh yeah, that was cool. <laughs> I had a friend, Jacob. In my first video, you can see that. So we cycled together. First, this is the first video in my um, YouTube channel. Okay. Um, I cycled from Rovaniem in Ar- Arctic Circle in Finland with Jacob all the way to to the uh, to. Uh, North Cape and back, and Jacob is a. He, he also had amazing knowledge about nature. What you can eat, what you cannot eat, lots of survival techniques and ways. So he had a. Uh, also, he wasn't short in the money, you know, at the time. So he had a, these uh, like eight, eight uh, a mice trap. So he was trapping the mice and uh, eating, you know, and oh, we were wow. cycling. And I was That's like, wild. Anyway, we decided four of them to send it back because our bikes was very heavy. But he kept anyway four of those ones. So with him, yeah, I had a mice. I think that was one of the craziest things. Yeah, that's weird. And And it was not bad. And I'm guessing there's not much meat on a mouse. No, not really. No, 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 no. No, not not so much, and especially the Jacob was not putting was not putting any black pepper or salt because he just liked it to eat it the way it was, so, you know. Oh, oh natural. Yeah, it's amazing. And I guess when you're when you're getting any kind of roadkill, part of the freshness uh, test is to see how many bugs are around on it, right? And um, if there's Fly. Yeah. I mean, flies come pretty quick, but I guess when you cut off like a leg or something, you're you're putting a fresh cut, oh, so cool. there's no bugs crawling on it yet. Yeah, yeah. if there's a, you see a worm or something inside the meat, it's off totally. You just that's off. Mm, okay, good call. That's not that, 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 that's nothing you can eat. Yeah, but uh, but if um, if there's nothing you cut it, there's nothing in a in a meat. You know doesn't smell bad and the flies as you said it comes also you can see the blood you know if the blood also it's a little bit freshish you know uh-huh. around the, because normally they have accidents uh, from somewhere you know roadkills from the leg or spine or wherever right. also you can cut that area or if there is a blood around you can estimate from the blood how long ago this ha- accident have happened also from actually when you cut it also, from the meat, you can estimate um, how long ago, how hard it is, like, uh, mm, with the meat, uh, how long ago this accident will uh, have happened, so you know. Okay. Also, other thing is, when, that, yeah, when this happens, usually, you know, um, uh, it takes a while for the uh, foxes or other predators to come around and eat it. You know, if you don't see any sign of uh, any other predator around it, so that means it's fresh. Also, ah, uh, good point. Um, I think when you finally yeah. when you finally reach Canada, you'll find lots and lots of roadkill. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> there's so much in Canada. Like- <laughs> 
Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know. Um, good if you're looking for food, yeah, but yeah. bad if you're an animal. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's very, very true. Yeah, it's, uh, it's sad, but it is like I always say, like, uh, yeah, it is sad. It's unfortunate it happens. But if it happens, I always say it's good if I get there early enough, you know. Mm-hmm. And also, if even you don't eat it, you know, I would say it's really good to carry these uh, dead bodies a little bit out from the out from the road because the other predators they come foxes like then wolf or whatever even if you're in the bear country my bear come and then there's a chance for them to have an accident oh that's a very very good point yeah in yeah. Uh, in british columbia in, in the west of canada um in the rocky mountains they actually build bridges over the highways for animals to walk across so they're animal bridges um and then everything up to the fence, uh, up to the bridge is kind of fenced off so that hopefully animals kind of get directed towards the bridge and a smart animal would just sit there and keep eating everything that comes by. But I guess they're not that, uh, <laughs> they're not that organized. <laughs> but that's very good. You have that. It's really, really good. Mm-hmm. Super good. Yeah. We have in some cases, in some places in Finland also, we have a fence around the road. So, uh, especially in South Finland, which there's more traffic. Yeah. So there's uh, wild animals, they don't come. But in North, now we have loads of reindeers, and yeah, the, the accident with the reindeer is very, very common, unfortunately. Is um, reindeer populations, I think it's similar to Canada, in, large, uh, in, in some regards, the populations are growing. Is that just because there's not as many predators now? Or are, do you notice that too? Um, uh, then mm, uh, in Finland, yeah, in Finland, the main reason for it, for uh, for it in Finland is uh, the people are herding uh, reindeers. Actually, reindeers belongs to people. Oh. It's a half wild animal. So yeah, it is um, because people are taking care of it. So that's the main reason the the population goes goes high. And it is quite now. I think a lot of we have a. It's just in the limit. I hope they stop. Uh, the reindeer population and uh, in, the, in the current stage, why it is not, we don't, I think, need more reindeer, in my opinion, in Lapland yeah. anymore. Although um, <laughs> I've, I've had smoked reindeer meat before and it was really, really delicious. <laughs> it is the best meat I ever had. Yeah. I think the, the reindeer, it's too tasty. Too tasty. Um, let's talk about camping. I guess um, similar to to food stuff and dumpster diving and stuff uh, that changed a lot drastically from going Northern Europe to Southern Europe. How about camping or accommodations? How do you sort that out? What kind of places do you look for, etc.? It's um, yeah, the, uh, exactly as you say. It depends on the country. It depends on the pre- place. It depends on the security situation. Uh, it depends on it depends on these all of these things, and together I decide to where to camp and sometimes not camp. But for example, I was now in Banda and there just there was no any any place. Every place was a village. Every piece of land was for agriculture. So it was the, the wild camping was impossible. Mm-hmm. So in the places like that, the, and there's a lot of people everywhere so in places like that the safest thing is and the best thing in my opinion is i just go to the village and i ask from people if i could put my sure. tent next to their uh, house or in their farm or whatever 
So I do like that. In in Scandinavia, you can camp more or less in many places uh, legally, no problem, and uh, it's fantastic for camping. Scandinavia is so so nice. But again, yeah, I do not go to the big towns. So if I go to the uh, if I'm my passes uh, crossing through to the big towns, uh, I try to camp at least 30 kilometers, I don't know, okay. uh, 20 kilometers before the big town. And I'm a little bit more aware, you know, I I put up usually my tent. I choose the place when it is light, there's a, there's a daylight. And then at the, at the evening, uh, I wait a little bit, I go somewhere around, do something. And in the evening, I go and put up my tent uh, over there. And then in the morning, I just, I am off. So I try not to be seen, you know. The, the big towns are a problem, as I yeah. said. Yeah, I think I, big I, towns I, are I learned one really important thing, and somebody said as if it's nighttime and you go to set up your camp and you think that you're far away from the trail or far away from the road, typically in the morning you'll wake up and you'll be like, oh, man, I'm really close. Everybody can see me. So it's better to, to find that place before dark if you can so you're actually sure how far away you are from the main path. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it is very important to choose like around. Let's say, for example, if if the um, if sunset is around six o'clock, around four o'clock, I uh, I start to look for a campsite. Mm. Okay. I do not put up my tent uh, at the at the night if it's not an emergency. I do not do that. Have you guys had any issues with wild camping on the trip? Um, let me think. Oh, really? As much as I remember. Not particularly, yeah. no. That's good. Cool. No, 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 no. How do you... It was all... Oh, good. go ahead. Yeah, yeah. it was It was all good. Uh, like, uh, we've, been, we've been always in a, in a nature, in a countryside, and, you know, we, are, we camp in the villages or mm-hmm. wild camp in the nature. So no issue at all. Okay. And... I mean, obviously, we talked about Northern Europe being so different from Southern Europe. Um, yeah. What are what are some of these differences that you noticed uh, throughout your tour? And what are some of the things that makes Europe such a, a great place to cycle tour? Before continuing on with the show, I'd like to thank Panorama Cycles for sponsoring this podcast. Panorama Cycles is a bicycle manufacturer in Quebec, Canada, dedicated to backcountry cyclists that prefer gravel, snow, and off-road trails. They believe cycling is a catalyst for adventures of all sizes, and that there's no need to travel across the world or to be a seasoned athlete to live epic outdoor adventures. Over the past year, I've been riding the Chick Shocks Fat Bike, the Catadan Gravel Bike, and the Taiga Mountain Bike. From everyday rides, bikepacking trips, and a multitude of races and events, these bikes have put a huge smile on my face every step of the way while also getting me on the podium on the Wendigo Ultra Fat Bike Race and helped me set an FKT on the Canadian Shield 400. In partnering up with the Bike Pack Adventures podcast, Panorama Cycles also wants to give back to the cycling community, particularly you, the listeners of the podcast. By using the promo code BPA10 when purchasing a new bike from PanoramaCycles.com, you'll save 10%. For more information on their environmental commitments or to check out their bikes, head to PanoramaCycles.com. Now back to the show. Uh, Europe is very easy, indeed. It's very, very easy. Um, everything is available. If you are, if you're from Europe, you're you're a beginner. I would say you're starting this bicycle touring in Europe. You know, like a, you don't need to be worried about anything. Actually, it is it is very simple and very easy. Everything is 
you have a you have um you have a cafe you know let's say it's 50 kilometers or something you know mm-hmm. you have a food always available you know if you don't want a wild cam you just can google you have a good network all around you can google okay i go to this campsite you know you have warm showers all across europe so you can send a message and go to a warm shower host and and really thanks to all the warm shower hosts i appreciate it a lot it's an amazing web mm. uh, like app and the website uh, uh, it's it's beautiful if anyone doesn't know you can be a member of that and you can send a message uh, all the cyclists are a member there so uh, you can go and camp or if they have an extra room in their house they offer you and it's beautiful so yeah europe is very easy these are all the reasons everything is basically available and uh, you have a food. If you get into the trouble, you know where to go to the. You have a European, what's just the name? This, uh, let's say, uh, this um, healthcare card. You can go to the hospital. So it's just there's nothing to be worried really in Europe about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good point. There's uh, lots. Of, I mean, one thing you might have to worry about is theft of your bike or something. But I think that's everywhere in the world. If could happen, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it, it might happen, but just if you avoid, as I say again, big town, avoid the big town, it's small villages, everyone knows each other. Mm-hmm. Small towns, small villages usually are very safe. You know, you never know, but usually are very safe. So if you don't go to the, those places, then you're fine, you know. Yeah. And um, going through Europe, when you were heading south, did you guys take on a lot of mountain routes or did you kind of avoid those in favor of flatter routes? What was your plan and how did it work out? Well, we, we crossed, of course, the, the mountains in the, in, in Spain, but yeah, we went as fast as possible, basically to the, to down, down to the, down South, uh, to Spain because, uh, we wanted to winter was just behind us. Okay. So we were basically, was chasing us. So we were just, you know, running, running, running down south. So yeah, no, we went as fast as possible. We took the quickest road and, um, but we cycled some really, really nice, uh, Eurovelo road in Germany. And it was fantastic. Also in the, some Eurovelo road in France, it was beautiful, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Oh, amazing. I, I'm really looking forward to, uh, well, I'm hoping in the next year to, to, uh, to make it up to Europe with the family and do some bike touring and, you know, uh, with the baby and everything, but I'm not sure when it'll happen, but hopefully in the next while. Okay. Uh, Germany and France is really, really easy and nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think like Belgium and Amsterdam or Holland as well are probably really like that whole Northern Europe is supposed to be pretty good. Yeah. Um, what yeah, was yeah, yeah. What was the feeling for you and Matilda when you, you, you crossed into Africa? And I know you guys crossed to a uh, territory of Spain. Um, did it feel like Africa mm. already or did it feel like you were still in Europe? Uh, what was that feeling? Mm, well, uh, it, was, it was like, a, I never been at the time in Africa. It was my first time to go to Africa. Also Matilda. So it was quite exciting and well, it was very smooth. Very, very smooth. Morocco is very... We, we crossed, yeah, exactly, to this small town, Melilla, which belongs to Spain. But from there, we crossed to uh, to Morocco. Of course, you could see straight away the differences. Uh, and the people are very, very welcoming and friendly in Morocco. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, Morocco is 
amazing, such a nice place. I really loved every second of being there. Uh, food, oh, everything, people, like it's such a place, such a place. So, yeah, um, it was exciting, but as I said, thanks to Morocco, thanks to the Morocco's beautiful nature, thanks to friendly people and welcoming people in Morocco, it made it so easy, easy and smooth for us. Okay. But yeah, also, I need to say, like, um, you don't really feel, um, feel so much of, get so much of feeling of Africa when, till you cross to... Till you cross to um, Senegal. Oh, okay. Why of course, is that? The you get a lot of color in Senegal, you know. The people are so, the clothing and everything is just very different, you know. It's just in Morocco, Senegal, it's just, uh, from there you can see, yeah, okay, the Africa starts, you know. It is it is different for me, at least. What? But also, oh, uh, I would say one of the... One of the places which was quite interesting and and you know some way shocking, I would say, was it was Mauritania. Why is that? That, was, that sorry. Why why was uh, Mauritania so uh, special? Oh man, Mauritania! Yeah, Mauritania was unbelievably beautiful, especially southern part of Mauritania. It's, I think, one of the most beautiful places I've ever been in my life. Because you have these orange dunes and these, like, a small, or like, a, these um, trees which are, like, a bushish kind of trees which they grow, and the camels and goats, they walk sunset and sunrise. It's so amazingly beautiful. And, and people in Mauritania, in the villages, they, they paint their the villages every house is like a happy and beautiful color it's like a, mm, it's like a bag of candy let's say it's just so amazing but also it was like I was talking with the mm -hmm. with the with the with the, with the, Muritan, uh, with the guy from Mauritania who um, who was working in a guest house in uh, in Nouakchott, Nouakchott, if I pronounce it right, the capital of Mauritania. Okay. And he said, like, Mauritania is divided in a way, unfortunately. They have the Arab-speaking uh, people, and then yeah. they have the, they have a, a, a black people, and um, I'm sorry to call it like this, but I don't know what, what, what term I could use. Maybe like um, the Arab, Arab, like the lighter brown Northern Africans yeah. versus the darker, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, thanks. So, yeah, unfortunately, it's a huge unfortunate. There's a, there's a racism over there. And, and uh, slavery have been illegal, like, uh, I don't know, maybe uh, I checked in a Google, it was, I think, 10 or 12 years ago or something like this. So you could see that in still in a society, and that was mind blowing. Like I was like a shock, really. Somebody was inviting 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 us for a food. Like I, I was just didn't know if I, how to eat the food. How it has been made? Like wow. I was just, you know what I mean? It was like uh, it was so it was something different, you know. I never expected that to see in my life, and yeah.
And yeah, the guy in the guest in the guest house, he told me he was trying to get the passport, Mauritanian passport, for two years, and he couldn't get it. And and if if he was you know, from the Arab speaking um, community, yeah, he would get it in a in a one week. Okay, so it was really just based on his re- religion, language, and and maybe or color, right? Yeah, it's based on color. Oh. and it's a really huge country. Yeah, it, like, it, it's not small; it's massive. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's massive. And this was this was one of the really Mauritania was uh, was a very different place in my life. I have been here. How much time did you guys spend going through Mauritania? Uh, I think all in all, maybe around three weeks or one month. Okay. Something like that. Um, let's jump back to Morocco because I think it's a, it is a, yeah. a really interesting country. Um, and anybody who's ever been there that I know has said they loved it. I was there once, but just backpacking mm-hmm. for five days or something. So I was exactly where you weren't. I was in all the cities. Yeah. Um, yeah. What was it? What was it like? Like, what were? Just tell us about Morocco. Oh man, Morocco is amazing. Morocco is such a beautiful place with welcoming people. Amazing olive oil, man. Oh, yeah? the olive oil over there is too good. It's too good. Like you put that one in, you you make a food with that olive oil. You don't need to put anything else on uh... that food. So it's so tasty, just fresh from there. You know. Just from the from the tree in the backyard, and everyone you can buy it for like nothing, so cheap, mm. and everything is being produced over there. Like uh, fruit, food is amazing. People are super nice and understanding and uh, helpful and friendly. Oh man, mm. and so diverse. So you have Atlas Mountains. You can actually go for skiing over there in Morocco. Oh yeah, and you have a. Yeah, you have the desert. You know. Well, you it's, the it's like Iran. A lot of people don't know that if you go to Iran, you, you've got 5,000 meter peaks and they have some really good skiing in around Tehran as well. Yeah. Probably more as well, north yeah. uh, towards Azerbaijan and whatnot. Yeah, you do. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is just like it's such a diverse place. What were what were such some what place. were some of the big challenges you and Matilda faced uh, cycling through Morocco? Oh, the wind, man. Wind. The wind? Wind. We yeah. Had, we, were, yeah we had a headwind, I think, for one month or something like that. Oh, jeez. That was huge, you know. I mean, like, and the sand and headwind, it was, it was really, like, at one point, I was like, I was like, look, if I cycle, I go five kilometers per hour my speed if I if I walk it's the same you know I mean I, I told him this cycling now in this part it does not make any sense let's Damn. take a truck or something but she was a strong man she said no recycle I said okay recycle oh good on her recycle recycle and we did but it was like a, we had a really tough headwind over there that was the biggest challenge I would say yeah, and does the I guess the all that wind it kind of plays games with your head, right? Like you said, it made you want to just say forget it, let's get a truck, 
Um, even though I know yeah. you guys had this vision of using as little public transit as possible, avoiding to fly, avoiding everything that's not bicycling. Yeah. Uh, but even then, it makes you really just kind of second guess yourself and say, let's just make it easier or something, right? Yeah, because it's just like, oh, well, like, it, like it, look, I just can't go forward, you know? And, and our visa was running out, you know? Ah. We had to be on a border at the time, so we had a very limited amount of time. And so that was like a really, that was really tough. And the second challenge actually of face, of course, to say, he was asleep. Oh man, when it's hot in a yeah. desert, like at the night, it was over 25, and like sometimes even 50 degrees. And oh man, I could not like sleep. I was yeah, It was always like that. Yeah, it was very difficult. It was so hot. I was sweating all the time. And I was having, at the night, I was going, pouring the water to my head. Having a, I had a towel, my, I was soaking my towel, I was coming to the bed. Half an hour was okay, but then after that, everything was dried out, and again, oh. I was sweating. So that was really hard. Yeah, I was going to suggest, why not bicycle at night and sleep in the day? But I guess the, the answer to that is it would have been impossible to sleep during the day. Yeah, it would, it would be. It would, that also would be difficult. Also in Morocco... Uh, like uh, police really takes care of you, uh, tourists, especially cyclists. So they just um, they just follow you all the time, more or less. You know, they make sure you have a place to sleep. They're very very nice, actually, and they're like they're like a tour guide. You know, they just—it's unbelievable. Man. <laughs> they just find your place to sleep at the night. You know, you start asking them for <laughs> advice. So what should we go see? Where should we eat? <laughs> It's unbelievable, yeah. Like, yeah. So I think it would be a difficult job for the police guys uh, because sometimes I was I was feeling bad for them and I was like, okay, let's cycle faster. You know, they've been with a car mm-hmm. going behind the squad slowly. You know, so. <laughs> um, you you guys rode through Western Sahara, and yeah, I know that. I think that's where you had more issues with uh you know you had to deal with the police a bit more there um and it's it's kind of tell us a bit about western sahara from my understanding it's part of morocco but it's semi-independent and there's people fighting for freedom and things like that yeah there's uh, uh, for us it was it was it was all right and the police was just coming and telling where to sleep at the night and make sure make sure we have a place. But yeah, there's a poli- uh, political issues over there, and um, and uh, it, it is uh, it's basically more or less um, according to the what I Google. It is uh, what I understand. It is occupied and in, and it needs to be some sort of uh, what the people they need to vote for it. Okay. So yeah, there's a lot of like um, vote for it. If they want to be part of Morocco, they want to be independent. But this voting hasn't happened, and oh. uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, it's a long, long story, and Moroccans are very sensitive about this. You know, yeah. like uh, they were looking. I had this. We had this ball, the world, like a map, like a earth in front of our bicycles. Some of them, they were looking, ah, this different color, this question is hard. No, this is Morocco. I said, oh, come on, man. It's, no, I didn't draw that. <laughs> <laughs> as long as you don't get arrested <laughs> and have to explain why your map is not the right way. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. You're, going to jail. You're, car- you're carrying the wrong map. Like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and how were the people in Western Sahara? Were you able to interact with them and get to know any and things like that? Uh, the yeah, yeah, all the same as Morocco. Yeah, like they were, I think, a lot from Morocco and what, what we met, and very friendly, very nice. Mm. No zero, yeah, we, we we met loads of people, like very very friendly as the rest of Morocco, and no problem at all. And nice, everything very very settled, very nice and easy, and and uh, tail tailwind, amazing tailwind all across the Western Sahara. It was just I was sitting on a bicycle and the wind was woo, taking yeah. you. It was so good, man. Yeah. Finally, right? After all the torture of the north in Morocco and then you get to the western and all of a sudden you had the tailwind? Yeah, it was so good. Like 140 kilometers in a day, no problem, you know. Our average speed sometimes was 25 kilometers per hour, you know. Mm-hmm. Wow, okay. Um, <laughs> So I guess Senegal was the the first country you went to where, you know, um, I mean, Northern Africa is very light skinned, um, yeah, more Arabic, Muslim. Senegal was kind of the first country you went to where the African people became darker. And uh, how was that? How was Senegal? I know you didn't spend much time there. I think you guys were like a week or something. No, actually, we, we stayed in the one guest house. Oh. We stayed in one place and edited some video work there for two months or something. Oh, really? And then okay. we cycled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that that place was quiet. We had a we had a very close call to die in that place. In oh the guest yeah. House. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> you know what happened? Like, and there is there was a we rented a room and uh, we stayed there and then the cool but it was too hot again and we put the tent under then uh, like uh, in a yard which they had like a nice shed quite a big shed okay. we put the put our uh, tent over there one day in the morning at 6 a.m i heard a big sound like earthquake i just we just woke up and we see oh man the roof the roof just came down roof like a some part of roof of building just came down like oh, a wow. proper wood beton roof. Like a, if we were there, we would be dead. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, it was unbelievable. <laughs> everything came down. Like oh man, <laughs> this is woo-hoo. wow. That was a quiet and mostly the, the room. Uh, which we rented, uh, that didn't came down because our bicycle and every all of the equipment was uh, was there. So right, you lost that everything. That was very close. Okay, and um, actually, before we go further into your time in Gambia, I th- mm-hmm. I want to ask you what are some of the things that you've learned from the desert? Um, whether it's survival tricks, mental stuff, um, keeping cool, what what kind of uh, any ideas, tips, tricks? Yeah, that one thing is the biggest biggest tip is uh, our biggest thing I have learned is cover all of your skin. Cover with the, cover with what? The, with the, cover all of your skin, your face, ah. your your hands, like a longest sleeve, uh, longest sleeve shirt. Wrap this nice in Morocco. They sell nice cotton, like a fabric around your 
around your face yeah. and uh, have a long, uh, um, long trouser. Make sure you got this. Okay. Just because that the is sun, very, huh? very important. No, do not expose your skin to the sun. That is the most important thing in working. Mm. Okay. Good to know. Any, yeah. <laughs> anything else? Yeah. Lots of, lots of very, 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 very actually interesting thing. It was very nice when I was using my bush box, you know. Many, many, in many places in the world, you might go and you. You look at the branches where you can find the things to burn, but in the, in the in desert in Sahara, there's some plants they grow. So basically, you go and take the root of the plant, and you burn the root of the plant. Ah, okay. That was nice. Yeah, it's always just also like a, the wet and the dry one is very very similar because the sometimes. It's too dry, and then the the plants, which is alive still, it doesn't have any leaves, you know. So you need to know which one is the which one is the the dry one. So you take out the dry one, and you can make your fire with that. It's just it's just very nice. Another thing is, um, I was doing it, and it was really nice. I had actually woolen socks, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I put woolen socks around my water bottle. And then I put the cotton wrap, a cotton cloth around it. And then I put another woolen socks over it. And then when I get water, you know, and I, uh, when I mm, fill up my bottle with the water, then I put a little bit of water in the fabric on the, from the top. I put it and then let it to be, oh man, after like uh, maybe... 20 minutes of cycling, you have a very, very cool and not in a nice temperature water to drink. Oh, okay. That is really, really good. Another thing is never drink a cold water. Tea is the best thing to drink. Why Warm that? water. Uh, it just really, it, it's really not, not good for your health. It makes your throat to, what's just the name, your throat to very easy to, oh, you that irritates your throat. Ah, okay. Uh, very easy when it's cold. So it's just like tea is one of the best thing you can drink, and that's why all the locals they all the time drink tea. Actually. Ah, yeah. When I when I lived in Malaysia, I uh, mm-hmm. I went to see a Chinese masseuse. Um, I had something wrong with my shoulder blades, and and you know she was poking and prodding me, and she said, "You drink cold mm-hmm. water?" I said, "Yeah, of course I drink cold water." She's like, "Never drink cold mm-hmm. water." <laughs> I was like, how did you get that from poking me in the back? I'm like, I don't get it, but okay. <laughs> yeah, and also in Middle East, uh, in, in Iran, for example, so I remember old people, they say, the cold water is not good. Yeah, yeah. But in Canada, we love cold water or ice cubes in our water and our <laughs> lemonade or whatever, you know? I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> It is very interesting. Uh, many things, the lifestyle, difference in the lifestyle and luxury, it's just so different between the, sometimes like between Finland, let's say, and now, for example, in a, yeah. in a village in, in, in Tanzania. It's what we find nice in the life, what these people here, they find nice in the life. It's fun in the life. It's quite, mm-hmm. sometimes it's different. Absolutely. 
you guys ended up spending a, a long time in the Gambia. Um, it's funny because, you know, I've heard the country's name. I had no idea where it was because it's really small. Uh, I mean, yeah. in the grand scheme of things. And yeah. you spent quite a bit of time there because COVID came. Um, can you tell us about your experience in the Gambia? Again, it was, it was amazing. It was so beautiful experience. I was, uh, yeah, we just packed actually in, in Gambia. We were, we were ready to heat. We had the visa for the, for the Guinea and we were just, we were just hitting the road and just checked the news. The COVID mm-hmm. borders are closing, COVID. And, uh-uh, uh, and we decided, okay, we wait. Let's see how this goes. And anyway, happened what happened about the COVID and actually we had the possibility to go back to, to bo- go back to Finland and I just look, mm, maybe not you know here is really nice and why I go you know yeah. I said no I prefer to spend the COVID time maybe here having a different experience than Finland and yeah and we end up uh, having a great time over there actually we uh, we had a small like a uh, garden farmish I would say like mm-hmm. that uh, for almost two months, uh, we we didn't buy really a lot of veggies from a shop, you know, because we produced uh-huh. most of the veggies ourselves. We just planted from we took from from our garden, and we had a seven. We bought seven birds, including like a chicken and uh, this this duck, which is not really a duck. It's basically a geese. I don't know why it's called okay. in English. I forgot the name. Uh, so at the end, when we were leaving. We had, I think, 35 or 45 birds. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> it was such an experience with people. We learned a lot from the, uh, from the locals, and we made a, amazing friends over there, which still we are in touch with. And we had a great cat, man, that, that cat, that Bonzu. I miss him like a hell. I, like, I can't watch the videos of him, really. Oh, no. Yeah, he was like a dog, you know. I just whistle wherever he was. I whistle, he was like a rocket next to me. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, because you guys had yeah. that cat for a while. And did did the cat follow you when you um when you went shopping? Everything, right? She would just follow you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like I had to take the cat and give it to Matilda or to more to hold it. Then I could leave. Otherwise, he would come after them. He was not leaving. <laughs> He was on real. Ah. I miss him so much. Awesome. And how much time did you guys spend in the Gambia? It was around a year. A year? A year, yeah. A wow. year or maybe more than a year. Okay. Yeah. Damn, that's longer than I thought because um, that's pretty much where I ran out of video watching at the moment as I, I saw yeah. part of your videos in during Corona and then I watched a few uh, moving forward into um, your extreme winter uh, adventure. And that's where I am. So you, after a year and a bit, you guys flew back to Finland. Um, grudgingly took an airplane. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and um, before we start talking about your extreme winter in Finland, um, what kind of did you have any gear issues in the trip so far? And uh, what kind of breakdowns did you have? Things like that. Well, to be honest, the, the major issue I have is with, is with, the, with, the, with the laptop, with the editing, with the, with the MacBooks. Yeah. 
now, yesterday was the second MacBook to break down, and this was just about it like a while ago. That, uh, like it's under warranty still, and the one MacBook again broke down in um, in in Gambia. Yeah, uh, uh, the the major issue I, I would say it's um, it's a laptop, and and we had one bad brand for the uh, for what was it the name uh, for um, hard drive. Yeah, this uh, it was not good quality, you know. So uh, uh, last year, two of their hard drives did break down, and yeah, but luckily we had a backup. So then we we switched to the Transcend and uh, Samsung. So now they are good. So yeah, I would say uh, the MacBook, uh, which unfortunately I cannot really leave it. I have to keep buying them because that's yeah. what I'm used to. For editing, but yeah, yeah, it's just that I really don't want to buy it anymore, you know. But I'm like, um, you know, but like it's so easy and fast for me to go around it. I know how everything works, but they don't last, unfortunately, you know. Mm. Old matches they were pretty good, but the new ones are not as good as the old ones. I don't know why. Yeah, I have a 2000. 2013 MacBook Air and it's still going. The only problem is the battery lasts not nearly as long anymore. So I might need to change the battery, but everything else is great. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why in 2021, uh, 22, I'm sorry, uh, with, uh, with this knowledge, uh, which is which has improved so much with this technology, that MacBook, MacBook can't make something better and more durable than all of them. Huh, yeah. Why their quality goes backwards? I don't understand it. Well, probably because people like me haven't bought new MacBooks in nine years. So they, uh, they, they're they making them so they break faster. Yeah. So you don't actually have one for 10 years. Yeah, exactly. That's the reason. I hope our government, yeah, our governments could put some rules so they can make this kind of mess, you know, mm-hmm. because they are enough rich, you know, why you want more? Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, and 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 as a person yourself who likes to reuse, and uh, I, I remember yeah. watching your video where you took these most beat up Crocs, and Crocs are something that you know most Westerners would never even consider fixing because they're cheap, they're they're comfy, but they're cheap to buy and stuff. They just throw them out, and you actually had a a guy put new soles on them, and I was like, what the hell? You know, so it, it really goes is a testament to yourself as uh, trying to to reduce waste and reuse things and uh, extend the life um, of products. Yeah, yeah, I really hope this is mentality. You know, this mentality of making things which is fixable and last for generations, and you buy things which you can pass it to the next generation needs to be back. Yeah, in the world, in my opinion, if we want to save. Uh, have a good life, next generation, have a good life. One of the things we need to do is this, you know, really. I remember I, uh, I was fixing my, my father like a backpack, uh, mountaineering equipment, yeah. and I used them. Yeah. And wow. they were already, like, uh, I don't know, 40 years old, you know, and many people, uh, my dad, his friends, I don't know, his brothers they have used and then I collect them from around yeah. from the people I fix them and I use them because they were fantastic you know and now but you know everything 
Like if somebody pays for something and they expect I pay for this one for $10, okay, it's good if it works for two months and after that I buy another one. No, that is wrong in my opinion. Mm -hmm. You buy something, you buy it, and I think when I buy something, I think, okay, I will give this one to, for the, my friends, uh, for example, uh, son, uh, girl, or whatever. I give it to them, give it to the kids. That is the mentality. I think we need to buy equipment. We need to make things nowadays. Yeah. Not like uh, these cups, uh, these plastic cups, you just drink water and you throw it out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't even buy water. Yeah. If I, unlike, there's been times where I've bought water, but I, I hate myself for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, you know, they make things which is very convenient nowadays. They work perfectly for a short period of time, and that's it. Don't after that. Yeah. Did you have a chance to go to the south of Senegal before leaving? Because I know when I look at the map here, man, like the difference between the north of Senegal and the south, like north of the Gambia and south of the Gambia, it's it's like brown versus green, you know, in terms of the, the terrain. Um, it must be just yeah. unbelievably different. Did you guys have a chance to enter that at all? Or was that just because of COVID? Uh, the, uh, in uh, you, you ask about Gambia or Sa Senegal? Senegal, yeah, in the south of Senegal. Mm. No, unfortunately, we could not go, uh, go go so much. We went a little bit inland and came, but indeed there is a, there is a difference. We made it like a small small tour around it, and uh, and then because the rain season at the time, a game was following us, you know, it was behind mm -hmm. us. So we wanted to save the rain season, but then, yeah, we, we got... We, the COVID came and the rain season just stopped us in <laughs> we met the rain season in the ah. in um, in Gambia so no we did not we did not go so so far no okay. and um, oh, what made you decide to finally head back to Finland uh, we actually did not decide at the time to go really back to Finland we were um, uh we were. We decided to we go to Kenya. Oh, okay. Our plan was yeah. to come to Kenya and cycle the uh, east co east part of Africa all the way to South Africa. The current tour, which I am doing right now, this was the plan last year. So, but we thought about it. Okay, so we were um, two to train. Did sponsor us with the new bike. Uh, so we were, we were going to test these new bikes and we thought, mm, okay, so it makes a sense for us. If we fly to Finland, we stay there for 10 days, we change our equipment, uh, some of them, and we get the new bikes and then we fly uh, from Finland to Kenya. Oh, so we had okay. our, our, our flights booked in a way, which we are going, we fly in Kenya and we had actually flight from uh, Hels uh, from Helsinki to Istanbul and from Istanbul to what is the uh, for, to Nairobi okay. already booked for for third or fourth of I don't remember the January and yeah anyway then we, we got to we got to Finland everything worked out perfectly all is good we and it was the still the almost the top peak of COVID time yeah. Uh, but we have this PCR test, everything we sorted out. And uh, yeah, we packed the bikes, but uh, we had our boarding pass on the Helsinki airport in our hand. A Turkish airline said, I can't take these bicycles 
are too big. They didn't take our bicycles despite we have what? called them almost six times and they confirmed the stuff. But yeah, no use. They didn't take it. They refused to take our bicycles and then then after that, uh, like uh, they came more restrictions. We thought, okay, we fly next week, and we had a talk with Turkish Airlines. It took many months for them to give the money back because they refused first to give the money back. I really hope any none of you have to deal with the airlines, by the way. And wow. if you, any of you out there, who are hearing this, and you get something confirmed to, from the airline, make sure you get an email or at least a Facebook chat with them. So you have it written right. because they say yeah. something on the face on the phone, you know, and you can prove it, you know, over there in a, when you want to fly, they say, no, what are you going to do? Nothing. You don't have anything to prove that. Uh-huh. Yeah. So anyway, so, and, and at the time we didn't, we didn't have the money possibility to again, to take buy new fl- uh, flights. Again, take a PCR test, mm-hmm. which was 300 euro per person Shit. at the time. So we didn't have money to do all of these things. And we said, all right, we have this plan to cycle in winter across Finland. Yeah. We had it for a year after. We said, let's, let's do it now. Great winter. We do it now. And then we come to, come to, uh, to Kenya next year. And that's what we did. Okay, and how long were you guys cycling in uh, Finnish winter before Matilda uh, had to pull the plug and go back to Helsinki? Um, maybe it was, I would say, around uh, around a little bit more than a month. Okay. We had a one break, like for one week or ten days, we had a one break. Yeah, I think two weeks we had editing breaks Yeah, in between. But uh, yeah, the rest of it we cycled there. All in all, in around one and a half months, we arrived to Rovaniemi, and then over there, yeah, we edited one video and uh, one or two video, and then Matilda, yeah, okay, uh, um, like she be, she she's no well, and uh, she went back, and then I I continue cycling towards Norway. Ah, and um, <clears throat> excuse me. Tell us no, about the new bikes. So you have now you're now riding two terrain bikes. Um, what did you do with your old bikes? And tell us about the new bike. Oh man, old bikes are in Helsinki, and uh, yeah, I love them so much. Love those old bikes, but uh, because of the because of this <laughs> MacBook and buying the laptops, I might yeah. I might have to sell mine. Yeah, so I can pay off for these things. But yeah, they are in Helsinki actually. Okay. So, but new bikes are one of them. They have an internal gearbox system, uh, both of them. One is equipped with the pinion, the, the other one is equipped with the Rohloff. Okay. So we test the Rohloff and pinion uh, gearbox, gearboxes to see how they perform. And uh, the, another great advantage about these bikes is which they do have a gate um, carbon drive and ah yeah nice really amazing you know for someone who I say again who has a financial possibility I would really recommend to get one of these because the drivetrain lasts literally over 20,000 kilometers mm-hmm. and more or less you really don't have to do so much with it now and then maybe a little bit clean it but it's so convenient. It's so convenient. It's so durable. It's amazing. It's a, one of those innovations in the bicycle industry. I totally support. Yeah. 
because a lot of time in a you see in a bushcraft world or in a in a bicycle world they invent something and you you, you really didn't need this you know it doesn't improve anything you, they just create a need for you yeah. they come up with idea you feel oh you need that and they send you something new but uh, this system basically this internal gearbox and the belt it really improves the durability and uh, and it's uh, it's amazing so it's one of those things that really really supported and I would recommend it so both of the bikes they have this drivetrain system and this is the main difference mm. And yeah, I, I, I just recently built a new bike and I had the option of getting a pinion in it, but I would have had to wait yeah. nine months because of, you know, um, issues getting products and I didn't want to wait nine months. So I didn't get the pinion and, and I wish I would have, but at the same time, uh, it was important that I get my new bike now and that's the way life goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As I say, oh, in my opinion, never let the equipment uh, slow down your adventures or keep you at home. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I said in a recent video which I published mm -hmm. um, about the differences between chain and belt. Uh, in my opinion, chain have been working on a, uh, going around the world for decades, you know, and it works, but yeah, uh, the belt is and the internal gearbox is more convenient mm -hmm. and more yeah. durable but you don't have the possibility and if you cannot like in your case for example you can't wait you have to wait for a long time yeah why not the trailer and the chain and you're good to go yeah exactly um, and what's your opinion so far of the pinion versus roll off I know that I think correct me if I'm wrong Matilda's bike had the pinion and you did take it and ride it some of the time up north in, uh, in northern Europe or in Finland uh, so you could do a good comparison. What was your thoughts in the end? Yeah, uh, I I published one video about this, and um, and um, I will publish a second one. In my opinion, they're very close, and they're both a beautiful uh, piece of engineering. Mm -hmm. But I prefer personally uh, opinion because I uh, it feels it feels more durable. Uh, it has a, uh, I have. I have to do less adjustment with it so far compared to the Rohlo. Right. Um, and, and also, uh, for me, when I cycled with both of them, really the pinion feels more efficient and uh, I like how the weight is in the center of the bike. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, I, I really like pinion. It's just, um, yeah, in, the, in a Rohlo, when I have it, when I cycle with it, I really feel the heavy back wheel to be honest and I really feel sometimes that you got that like it's like I have a little bit of sandpaper in my back you know in my, ah, okay. in my back wheel you know Ronnie so yeah all in all but it works you know the both they work both they are good but I prefer my conclusion is I prefer pinion okay awesome and um, so what 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 can you teach us about cycling in winter First of all, drink drink a lot of water. Remember to drink water. Yeah, it's easy to forget huh, when it's not hot. Absolutely, and then then I think it's. Um, I'm not a scientist, but I think your uh, when your body is not well hydrated, 
um, uh, it can be affecting you a little bit. Your blood might get thick, and then, but uh-huh. again, I'm not a scientist. Yeah, well, cool. My just my experience and absorbing of my own condition tells me. So then, the, when you when the blood doesn't move in your hands and your legs, your hands and legs, when it's minus thirty degrees centigrade, uh, it, it gets cold very easily. Mm. So that's one thing. Yeah. Payment sure science. Get, yeah, it's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Payment science, boy. Yeah. Make sure you get you drink, you know, water. Uh, have uh, these, um, it's called vacuum bottle. You can keep the water hot. Yeah. But what it called in English? Um, yeah. Like a, so have, like have a soft, to, soft bottle, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So you can put the water because the water is going to get frozen. You cannot put in your noggin a bottle and put it there, of course, you know? Mm-hmm. So. So you need to have those, and it's very nice to put those ones in a, uh, put hot water over there, and you keep drinking it. It's beautiful. That's really nice. And um, have those, have like a, as big as you can get those water bottles. Uh, uh, get some of, some big one of those ones. And the uh, other thing is when you grab, when you grab your handlebar, mm-hmm. do not grab it hard. Make, make sure you relax your hands. Also, your feet, you know, make make your body to be relaxed in a way. Because if you squeeze your handlebar hard, you know, you basically squeeze your muscles, and your body does. Uh, you again, the blood doesn't move. Oh, okay, yeah. So you want to keep a loose, yeah. a loose grip on things, huh? Yeah, absolutely. And get a good, good mittens and good shoes. In a way, you're. Inner um, um, inner boots should be woolen. I would really recommend that. And you can remove it and dry. It's important. And also, do not get uh, get it tight, uh, get it too small. You need always you in your shoes. You need uh, a little bit of extra space because that's the air. Air is the one which keeps you actually warm. Mm. You need to have space for air in you. In your uh, in your boots, or in your shoes, also in your uh, also in your mittens. Do not get them too tight. Okay, good. good. So this is two, yeah, this is two things, and also another very very important thing. I would recommend for everyone to have it. It's these um, pogies for a bike. Get the pogies. Yeah, yeah, like the, 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 the big mitts there that you put your hands in. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's important to block the wind. That's the most important. Yeah, those are funny, man. Because when I when I lived in Korea and that was uh, two thousand eight, I had a set of those on yeah. my motorbike, and I had never seen yeah. them in the West before that. Like people didn't have those on fat bikes. I don't even think there were fat bikes at the time. But now I see everybody's yeah. got these big pogies on their handlebars, and I was like, "Yep, I used to use those when I motorcycled in Korea." Yeah, they're good. They're awesome. They're good. Awesome. So, yeah, so that is another one I would recommend. And also, the other thing I would recommend make sure you got a good sleeping mat, warm sleeping mat. That's mm. very, very important. So, you sleep well. Even more important than your, um, than your sleeping bag, you get a lot of cold from the bottom, uh, from the yeah. ground. It doesn't matter how good your sleeping mat bag is if you have a bad sleeping mat you're going to have a cold night no matter what so it's important to sleep well 
So get that. That's one thing I would recommend. Also, another thing I would recommend for a for a cycling, if if you have the possibility and you are cycling somewhere which you can get a route or get that that um, hot tent that TP which what I had, it's absolutely awesome. It's so nice, man. It's outside. It's minus thirty. You wake up in the morning. You put the fire in your stove, in your wooden stove, and you have a cozy, nice breakfast in plus twenty. Oh man, it's so good and nice. Yeah, I saw that your your TP had a way to put a, a stove and stuff in it, right? And I had you had a little pipe that goes up and everything. Yeah, that's amazing. That's I, really cool. I didn't even stove. It's too good, man. Too yeah. good. And actually, and on that note, um, one thing I noticed is that you early on in your tour, you guys got rid of the gas stove and you started using, um, you've got a little fire, I forget what the name of the brand you had, but it's basically a little firebox, right? And you would just make your own fires with wood or whatever. Yeah, that was from the Bushcraft Essential, the German company who makes it. Yeah, it was a small, like they call it a twin stove. It was so nice. It's really, really lovely. I love that stuff, yeah. Do you still use it? Are you you still using it? Yeah, I have it. Yeah, I use now. I I I have the I have also the petrol uh, the petrol multi fuel stove with me because it's not possible to everywhere to make the fire. Yeah, I carry that always with me. I love that stuff. Nice. All right. I love cooking with it. So now you are in Tanzania. You flew into Kenya. Yeah. How long ago? How when did you fly into Kenya? Uh, can we have it just second of a pause or come back? Is that okay? Yeah, bro. All right, just a second. I'm sorry. No problem. I'll pause. All right, welcome back. Um, yeah, so you're now in Kenya. Or you're now in Tanzania. You flew into Kenya, right, into Nairobi for your second leg of your trip. Yes, absolutely. And um, yeah, so when did you start this next portion? And what's it been like to cycle solo all of a sudden? Oh, man. Uh, I applied to Kenya. It was, I think, 10th or 15th of, uh, I think around 15th of uh, December last year. Okay. I fly there and I start cycling. And after I saw, I think around maybe four months or something, in Kenya and went to Uganda and now came here and um, and now I'm going towards Lake Ayasi to to see uh, to stay with the Hadzabe people which they are uh, basically Hadzabe tribe which they are the last almost hunter gathering tribe in the world and oh, yeah. I really want to stay with them to hunt with them and yeah a little bit um, see some, some of the techniques what they use uh, for hunting, for living, it's just awesome. Man, it has been amazing. The Kenya was so good. It was, I learned a lot. I learned so much. Like, and it was like, uh, oh, people were very, very nice and friendly, of course. Uh, like, all, all Africa has been always like, yeah. I never had a bad experience. And especially Kenya is so unique. People are so friendly. Nature is unbelievable. It is so diverse. It is so wild. I had like a lion for almost like I would say one and a half months. A couple of couple of times a week it was like passing my tent. Like 
What? Like, what much I remember. <laughs> it's like, you know, I woke up and I just, it was a moon, full moon. And I, uh, and I seen the guy passing by. It was a male lion. And I went then, went like a, maybe 30 meter from my, from my tent and it starts roaring. And <laughs> like, I couldn't sleep till maybe, maybe four or something because this guy was roaring and it's wow. loud. I tell you that. It's like, a, ooh, you can hear it from like a five kilometer, seven kilometer. Yeah. And imagine, man, it's 30 meter over there. It's so loud and and also I had almost elephant like one bull especially elephant was every night was next to my tent so I stayed in one campsite for around uh, like one and a half months uh, two months I was doing some work with the editing so yeah and it was unbelievable unbelievable experience were, were you was, af- was, afraid of your safety or uh, <laughs> one day when I, in the morning I woke up and I seen the elephant's footprint just like maybe less than a meter from my tent. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> because at the, at, the, at the night it rained and then I see and I didn't wake up because elephants are so quiet when they walk. Really? Yeah? You can't really hear. They're, um, they're huge, like a, huge animals, but it's, they're so quiet when they walk. You don't yeah. hear them really. But you can, they make this sort of sound or when they eat they break the boots and teeth yeah and you can hear them but you do not really hear them when they're walking so I didn't wake up and I wake up quite easily like if something happens around my tent I'm straight away oh. but yeah I didn't and I seen the guy pass, the, pass, pass and I'm definitely sure he has touched even my tent because he's just like a, a huge huge dude he cannot like pass my tent and uh, it doesn't touch it from that distance, when it was the the his uh, his footprint, I seen it. Yeah, I have it in my wow. Instagram. Damn. Oh man, no, not really. First, uh, first uh, regarding your question, first maybe uh, like one week or something. It was like uh, my heartbeat was going a little bit high, but then I asked it that way. It was a lion was passing by, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it was normal day in office. And that was in the, the mountainous areas of Kenya, right? It was in Laikipia region. Okay. In the very central of, uh, of Kenya, I would say. Okay. And uh, what's the plan now? So you're going to spend some time with um, one of the last really like nomadic tribes in Tanzania? Yeah, I will spend this Hadzabe with Hadzabe tribe, like uh, maybe a week or two weeks. And then after that, I will be cycling uh, towards South Africa. So I will go towards there and... So you I, Zambia I or go, Mozambique? Yeah. Which one are you going to go to? Uh, I'm going towards Zambia. Zambia, yeah. Uh, yeah. Sweet. So I go down and um, then uh, I think in the middle of August or end of September, I will be over there in South Af- in Cape Town and then I fly back to Finland then I will um, I will be uh, uh, cycling Lapland again in autumn time and uh, staying in my teepee and fishing and and hunting and uh, then then I think I have a plan to start to cycle um, towards the 
uh, Asia towards Mongolia. Oh, okay. Where I'm going yeah. to yeah ride the horse across Mongolia. Oh yeah. And and so then, gonna, where are you going to leave your bike? Are you going to just pack the bike on the horse? Uh, now, I haven't decided about that. Okay. But my biggest biggest choice is I think I will leave it somewhere in the with some people in the in Mongolia. So okay. I get there with the bike. I put the bike in the side, and I get the horses. Maybe for six months, or I don't know, one year, I go around the country with the horses. Then after that, I go towards India. I cycle towards India. I don't know how how the border situation is because yeah. I think it's quite tough. It'll but probably get better see. by then, but yeah. I hope so, yeah. I find a way, I cycle to India and then I, I want to get a bicycle rickshaw in India and uh, cross India with a bicycle rickshaw and then, yeah, that would be very much of a fun also trip and then I go towards the rest of the world, America. Uh. But, yeah, but before, the, before this, I think now when I'm in Europe, uh, when I go to Europe, uh, I also planning um, like a, my own adventure uh, on the way to Asia. I wanted to do five Atlan across across Europe. So that would be including starting with the skis, uh, cycling, swimming, uh, taking I don't know kayak or packraft, yeah, and running across across Europe from, oh, from north to south. So yeah. This is what I will do before going towards Mongolia. Nice. All right, that sounds amazing. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm jealous. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, John. So have these have these ideas changed? And um, like now that Matilda's no longer on the tour, did, did that change? Yeah the kind of planning and organization and allow for some different experiences rather than the original plan? Um, it was more or less the original plan okay. also, but, but, but then, then, then you, when you do it alone in a way, there's a difficulty, there's challenges. It's very beautiful to share the journey with someone, mm -hmm. but also it has many advantages because, um, because yeah, I can just decide or oh, I do this and I do it, you know? Yeah, it makes the end of the day selfish, you know, because you find out you do not maybe so much cooperate with the people. Oh well, I'm used to do what I want in the life, you know. Yeah, yeah, but also <laughs> I, I think like when you're solo, there's a there's a different experience culturally with uh, the people you meet because, um, you know, sometimes people interact with you that might not have otherwise approached because you were with somebody else, and you know they just gonna let you be so. This is billion percent true. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with this. When when you cycle solo, when you travel solo, whatever you do, people they think, oh, you're lonely, but no, you're not basic. You're never lonely. People they come and they talk more. You make more friends. Uh, definitely compared to when you are with someone or you're with a group. Yeah, yeah, that's I totally true. Totally agree with you. Yeah. All right, and well. and. and yeah. Go ahead. This part of it, it's really nice and lovely, actually. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I I kind of ran out of questions. I I think uh, that went no uh, amazingly long and well, which was great. I I don't mind. I think the timing is perfect. It's uh with my intro and stuff I pre-recorded. It's right around two hours. So, um, was there anything I missed that you really want to add? Uh, no, just uh, if. 
if uh, I could add, uh, you, I mean, you, you will edit it. You can cut this one off. Uh, I could add my uh, my social media so people they could if they want to they could find and yeah. that's it. Say bye. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So how can people find you? Yeah, the, you can find you can just Google Nomad Trails. Uh, you can you can find us in YouTube. Um, uh, I publish videos, uh, vlog style of like a documentary style of let's say movies, and also tech videos about bicycle tips about outdoor and yeah, all of these things. In YouTube, search for Nomad Trails. In Instagram, uh, search for Nomad Trails. I update you in Instagram very regularly, at least twice a week. And uh, in Facebook also, you can find us in Nomad Trails. And there is uh, our website, which also called www.nomadstrails.com. And I also put some extra videos uh, in our Patreon page. Ah, if somebody's interested, they can check it out. Yeah. So there you guys go. If you enjoy his stuff and you're enjoying the content, you can also su- supply- support him as a Patreon. And, um, oh, I just wanted to ask you, now that you have a new bike, are you still packing as much stuff or have you kind of trimmed down the packing f- to make travel a little easier and faster? Well, um, my packing is exceptionally always heavy <laughs> right. uh, and, the, and the main yeah and the main reason is uh, sorry and the main reason is the cameras are used and yeah. the editing equipment are used so they are they are quite yeah. quite heavy I think I have around 15 at least kilogram of uh, editing and recording equipment oh okay wow so I, yeah I think I will do a little bit of change in this. I think I may be staying one place next time, three, four months a year. I edit all the videos for one year in four months, five months, and eight months. I just do the adventure. Then again, I have a five months, uh, sorry, uh, like a six months or whatever, four yeah. months pause. And I do the, these videos, edit them for, for all the year, then I go. So I will do something like this. So I can carry slightly less and I will change the bike in the to um, elevate the bicycle with a wider tire and tubeless so I can go more comfortably on uh, off-road and, uh, yeah. and crazy, crazy tracks, you know, because it's really nice to go off-road. I really like it. And I think that the two-terrain bike can actually take pretty big tires, right? No, unfortunately. No? It's one of the... Yeah, no, this model it doesn't. They have oh. other model which it does. This model it doesn't. I, uh, yeah, it's a two point ten inch is the max tire it gets. So that okay, is it's not too big. One of the downside of the bike. If they, if the bike would would uh, fit like a wider tire, it would be absolutely perfect. But I think I would uh, go with the Velotrom Finder bike. That okay. that bike has aluminium frame. It's very steep because I carry a lot of weight, so it's important for me, the bike frame, to be mm-hmm. steep. So, and that also can accommodate plus-size tires, so it's perfect. Yeah, awesome. All right, well, I you don't have to hang up, but I will say goodbye, and I will uh, end the recording. So, Payman, thank you so much for sharing your adventures and uh, telling us all about Nomad's Trails. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. Much love to you and your family and Thanks everyone so who is out there. And I hope see you all on the road. Go out and do your uh, go out and do your own adventure. And best adventures are those which you have less money 
and not the perfect equipment that makes the experience very unique. I couldn't agree more. All right, thank you, and keep on pedaling. Bye-bye. All right, and that is the end of the episode. I hope you really enjoyed this uh, this talk with Payman uh, of Nomad's Trails. Definitely really interesting. This guy is like a wealth of information, so I highly recommend that if if you enjoyed this podcast, give him a follow on social media. If you if you're in a position where you can support him on Patreon and uh, you feel that that's uh, something you can do, do that. And on top of that, really super friendly guy. Email him, send him a message if you have any questions related to anything. If you have questions about you know foraging or how to cut up an animal or <laughs> or living in the winter through Finland, um, reach out to him. I'm sure he'll take the time and he'll reply and and you'll appreciate it and uh, he'll actually enjoy it. Appreciate the fact that you reached out to him as well. So that is it. I little bit later today i'm actually recording another podcast and then tomorrow night i've got another one so stay tuned there will be lots of things coming out and keep on pedaling i want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments i regularly receive from you it really helps motivate me to keep going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories if you have comments or questions you can email me at chris at biketouradventures.com or go to the website biketouradventures.com and shoot me a message through the contact form you can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, blog posts, videos, and the Touring Tips page. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you're enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash bike tour adventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, helping me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and continue to produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on pedaling. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me and keep me going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have questions or comments, you can email me at bike at bikepackadventures.ca or go to bikepackadventures.ca and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, bikepacking routes throughout Canada, blog posts, videos, and touring tips. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you are enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash bikepackadventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, help me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on pedaling.